Give thanks to the Lord, for the Lord is good. God's mercy endures forever. God's mercy endures forever. The Lord is my strength and my song, and has become my salvation. Shouts of rejoicing and salvation echo in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord acts valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord acts valiantly. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord indeed punished me sorely, but did not hand me over to death. Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. Here the righteous may enter. I give thanks to you, for you have answered me, and you have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. By the Lord this has been done. It is marvelous in our eyes. This, this is, is the, the day, day that, that the Lord, Lord has made. made. Let, Let us, us rejoice and be glad in it. Please stand as we welcome the gospel. on this Easter morning is from Mark chapters 15 and 16. Then Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to bottom. Now when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this, in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was God's son. There were also women looking on from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and the younger of Joses and Salome. They used to follow him and provide for him while he was in Galilee. And there were other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem. When evening had come and since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate wondered if he were already dead, and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he had been dead for some time. When he learned from the centurion that he was dead, 
he granted the body to Joseph. Then Joseph brought a linen cloth and taking down the body, wrapped it in the linen cloth and laid it in a tomb that had been hewn out of the rock. He then rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Josie, saw where the body was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll the stone away for us from the entrance of the tomb? And when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So they went out and fled the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The Gospel of our Lord. Grace and peace to you on this Easter morning. That awkward pause at the end of the gospel was intentional. I struggled to signal closure because Mark provides none. The women flee the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the end of Mark's gospel. Happy Easter. I want to be creative for a minute, and I want to imagine this ending in another story. So go back with me to October 26, 1991. It's the sixth game of the World Series, and the Atlanta Braves and the Minnesota Twins are tied 3-3, three to three, playing in the Metrodome. It's the bottom of the 11th inning, and Kirby Puckett steps up to the plate. Imagine now the sound, the crack of the bat as the ball is hit dead on. We watch the ball soar, soar, soar into deep left center field. It's going, it's going, it's... And then the lights go off. All the sounds are hushed. There is no voice saying, touch them all, Kirby Puckett, and no one will utter. We'll see you all tomorrow night. There is no cheering or high-fiving people you don't even know or the piling up of players, Homer hankies waving everywhere. 
Instead, everyone just goes home, not quite knowing what just happened, and they say nothing to anyone. Now, of course, we can't imagine that game without the sheer hysteria and the life-changing moment that it was. And by the way, just in case you were born after 1991, you gotta Google it. <laughs> Mark's resurrection story is like a piece of fabric with frayed edges. There is no clear seam to end its weaving. People long ago were not comfortable with this unresolved ending either. So they tried to add more verses to tidy things up a bit to make sure something was included about an appearance of Jesus to his disciples once he left the tomb. Because what is one to do when all you have is an empty tomb and women fleeing from it who are seized with terror and amazement? Rather than a feeling of relief or joy, there's fear, there's terror, that amazement. It's just this strange mix of disappointment and anticipation. And these were the women who stayed. We just read that. They were there at the death and the burial, up to Jesus' very last breath. And they saw the body, and they saw the tomb where it was laid. And they watched Joseph of Arimathea roll the stone to close the entrance. If these faithful women, after seeing that Jesus had been raised, are left stunned and amazed and unable to speak, who can possibly carry on this message of good news and hope? What is it Mark wants us to know about resurrection? Now, of course, the women must have told someone what they had experienced because the gospel was told and it was written down and we're here as living proof that it got shared. But Mark leaves what happens next to our imagination. The church and the world have a tendency to avoid the discomfort of unfinished stories, just like Mark's resurrection story. We hate when things go without a happy ending, when there is no clear resolution for something to happen, when something needs to get us from where we are to another place. We don't like that. Think about these things for a moment. We hear this and we say this in the face of an unexpected death. Well, you know, there must be a reason for everything. When a spouse just ups and leaves a marriage and a family, we're gossip till we are blue searching for a reason why. When a student needs to drop out of college, we immediately ask, now, what is your plan? You must have a plan. After a miscarriage, we can't stand to linger in the pain of that kind of loss. So we quickly say something like, don't worry, dear, you can always try again. Our children's books like to end with, and they lived happily ever after. We can't stand to live in the unsettled and the uncomfortable. 
Mark doesn't leave us with closure, maybe because he knows that this life is a library of last chapters waiting to be written. What do we do when life leaves us suspended? Maybe, maybe we are meant to linger in these awkward moments, the disappointment, the plan B, C, and D, as painful as they can be. Maybe that is right where the resurrected Jesus will be found. The women have nothing to take with them except this. Go, tell the disciples and Peter that he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. They can't stay in the tomb. Clearly, Jesus is no longer there, and as they leave, they will not find the world miraculously changed or easier to manage. In fact, it may be even more unpredictable now, now that dead people don't stay dead. They are called to go to Galilee, and there they will see Jesus just as he promised. Galilee? the place where Jesus' ministry began. The streets where God's presence was made known in flesh and blood, where disciples were called and demons were outcast and miracles happened in the everyday things of life. Galilee, it's the beginning place where Jesus entered the incomplete stories of our world. You're not going to leave this morning with a shiny new life, but you are changed forever. So claim your messiness. Linger in the places that need change. You will encounter Jesus on the way. But when it comes right down to it, resurrection is not dependent on us at all. It cannot be about a certain level of faith or a life to live without a heartache or a wrinkle. Resurrection is simply about God's faithfulness. The world no longer lives with the constructs of sin and death. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. Nothing can separate us from God. God breaks in and claims the world anew with forgiveness and a life even beyond death. But we forget this all the time. We listen to old tapes. We, like the women, are filled with terror and amazement, and most of the time, we never say anything because we, too, are afraid. Here today that the unfinished business, the life yet to be resolved, the dangling questions, the ripped fabric, the obscure futures, that's what resurrection is made known. We are called to hear again and again. Jesus is already ahead of us. He's on the move. He's walking there already. And he promises to meet us in our daily lives. This is where resurrection will be found. And then to live it in that way. Our call is to notice it and to proclaim it and to consider it possible. To love and forgive and take action because of it. To breathe it. 
and remind others and ourselves that God has not left this world. God is found in this world. And the story is still unfolding. Mark leaves the rest of the story to be written in your life. You have nothing but a promise. There you will see him again, just as he told you. And that promise is real and it's true because God is forever faithful. Christ is risen. Amen.